You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our second reading today is the story of those magi, the fulfillment of that prophecy that had been made long before, coming from the east to pay homage to Jesus. Let us continue listening now for a word from God, hearing these verses from the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When the Magi had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in the east until it stopped over the very place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, Home by Another Way. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, no matter where it is, we find ourselves this day on the landscape of life. We pray that your star would be as bright in our hearts as it was in the night sky so long ago. Indeed, O God, we pray that your light would guide us in this time, that through your spirit, you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here and use them to your glory and for your purposes. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't think that the Magi got the reaction they expected when they finally rolled into Jerusalem all those years ago. They'd come a long way by that point. It's a little unclear exactly where the Magi's journey originates, but what is clear, it was some distance, maybe modern-day Persia, somewhere in that region. 
They traveled all of those miles carrying these expensive gifts. They left their families, their homes, the security of familiar surroundings and traded it all for the danger of the open road. And the sole reason they had done this, of course, was because because of a star. I think when they finally got to Jerusalem, they were probably expecting reactions somewhere along the spectrum of surprise, curiosity, maybe some mix of skepticism. But that's not what they get. When they finally get to Jerusalem, the reaction they are met by is panic. They ask that question of Herod, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and we have come to pay him homage. And Matthew tells us Herod and all of Jerusalem with him was frightened. The juxtaposition there is startling, isn't it? On the one hand, we have the Magi who respond to the birth of Jesus with such trust, such faith, such conviction, such courage to undertake a journey like the one they do. And then on the other hand, we have Herod who responds to the birth of Jesus with fear. Herod is this leader who operates from a mindset of scarcity. Herod takes inventory every day of all the power that he has acquired. And if even an ounce of it goes missing, he will do anything to get it back. Herod immediately goes into survival mode. He's afraid. He huddles with his inner circle. He calls secret meetings. He panics. He's afraid. And let's be clear about what he's afraid of. He's not afraid of the cosmic implications of Jesus' birth. Herod's first thought is, what is not, rather, first thought is not, what does this mean for us that God's love has taken on flesh and blood? What does this mean for our world, for our creation? No, Herod is afraid only for the earthly implications of this good news. He is afraid of what it might mean for him. And for his power. And he will do anything to hold on to that which he has acquired. You just have to keep reading in chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel to see the extents to which Herod will go. Just after this story, Jesus and his family, they flee to Egypt according to Matthew. And Herod undertakes a murderous spree. Trust, faith, Courage, wonder, and then there's Herod, fear. I'm sure many of you have read and heard this story just as many times as I have. And oftentimes when we read this story, I think we focus in on things like what those gifts mean. What's represented in the gold and the frankincense and myrrh? We focus in on how the magi are these foreigners, these these outsiders who come to pay Jesus homage and who are accepted into the fold. These are important things for us to focus on. But you know, in reading the story this week, I just kept wondering to myself, which of those responses, the magi's or Herod's, 
most closely resembles our own response to the story of Christmas, to the story of God's love come into the flesh. Now, I look around here and I don't see any emperors. I noted that at the morning song and one child raised his hand. (laughs) But I don't see any actual emperors out here. I, I look out on these pews and I don't think I see anyone who wakes up each day and seeks to live their lives being driven by blind hatred of others, right? I recognize that the Herod of old is hard to really match in our days at least here in this space. But still, I wonder to myself, we're two weeks out from Christmas, and it feels like a lifetime, doesn't it? I was going around Converse Heights this week, and all the Christmas decorations were coming down. feels like it was forever ago, but it was only two weeks ago. How many of us in just those two weeks have already started to slip back into those old patterns, into those well-worn paths of living? Right? How many of us have slipped back into those behaviors that come from a place of control, trying to hold on to control in relationships, in our homes, and in our workplaces? How many of us have already slipped back into those, those easy patterns where we spend our lives chasing the coattails of power or success or popularity or whatever it looks like for you? Right? How many of us, just two weeks out from Christmas, the story of God coming to dwell with us, the story of a Savior coming to release us from all of the weight of life, how many of us in just two weeks have already begun hanging our hopes on things that are not God? You know, I read this story this week There was this one line that I've read, of course, just as many times as I've read the story, but I had never really found my eye lingering on as much as it was this week. It's that line where after the Magi visit with Herod in Jerusalem and they go on to Bethlehem and the star stops and they find Jesus underneath it. And the line says that they were overwhelmed in that moment with joy. I thought it was so interesting that they weren't overwhelmed first with relief, right? The Magi are human. Surely there was a moment somewhere on that path between Persia and Jerusalem where they wondered themselves, gee, I really hope we got the right star. (laughs) And then finally they, they find the manger and they find Jesus and they think, whew, we have the right one. It's not relief though that they're overwhelmed with. Their minds don't immediately go to their exit plan. Okay, we found the kid. Now how do we get out of here? No, Matthew tells us that they were overwhelmed with joy. With joy. It's almost as if Matthew is trying to talk to us about what the journey of faith entails. As if Matthew is trying to tell us, you know, the journey of faith that we live all of our days, it's one that can take us far away from those familiar and comfortable places that we dwell. It's a journey that can call us, our new officers being installed and ordained today, it's, it's a journey that can call us to tasks and to places that we may not feel entirely equipped for. It's a journey that will cost us. 
It will cost us expensive things, time, money, more. Last time I checked, it's no more fun telling the Herods of the world today no than it was all those years ago. Matthew seems to be telling us that the journey of faith is one that has many twists and turns. It is one that is not always easy, but when we respond to the good news of Christmas, when we respond to that story of God's love made manifest in Jesus, when we respond with trust and courage and faith and conviction, it will always lead us to the same place. It will lead us to joy. I know a pastor who was a PK. He was a preacher's kid in North Carolina. His dad was a United Methodist pastor there, had two older brothers. He was the youngest of three. He was the self-described runt of the litter. He broke every rule there was to break growing up. He was a challenging child in the household. His parents were sure of one thing and unsure of whether another might come to pass. They were sure he would never become a minister. And they were unsure of whether he would even go to college, whether he'd even graduate high school. Well, this friend did graduate high school and miraculously he got into college. He sort of wandered his first two years kind of untethered, unmoored, unsure of what it was he was supposed to be doing with his time there. He signed up for an astronomy class his junior year, first semester, and the professor one day near the end of the semester offered extra credit. There was a local theater production of the play Life of Galileo, a play about Galileo, the Renaissance astronomer, artist, everything, right? So uh, Steve hears about extra credit and he thinks to himself, there's something I could use a little of. And so he goes to this local theater production and he's sitting out there and about halfway through there's this scene in that play, Life of Galileo, where All the church people, you have to remember, the church was not wild about what Galileo was up to back then. Galileo was out there peering through his telescope and suggesting wild things like perhaps the earth is not the center of the universe. And the church and its leaders were not terribly enthralled with ideas like that. So there's this scene where the church people come and they accost Galileo and they start telling Galileo that he has to stop saying that the earth is not the center of the universe or there will be consequences. The church people, in other words, are afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen if all of this teaching and learning that Galileo's up to actually starts to take root. And my friend says he was sitting there watching this scene and it was almost an out-of-body experience. This kid who was troubled from day one, who broke every rule, who even then was wandering aimlessly through life, he said in that moment sitting in that dark little theater, it was as if God reached down, lifted the top of my head off, touched my brain, my very soul, and brought me to life. Because he said, in that moment, 
in that moment, I realized what all of our problem is, what the world's problem is and what his problem was, which is that we all think we are the center of the universe. But it dawned on him in that moment. No, we're not, are we? And that's challenging news. But the good news of the gospel is that there is a center of the universe. And it came in the form of a baby in a manger, right? Think about Herod in this story. Herod is convinced that he is the center of the universe and he is terrified, panicky about anyone and anything that would suggest otherwise. But the Magi, the Magi on the other hand, they have trust and they have faith And they have courage to follow this star, this star that stops exactly over the spot where the one who is the center of the universe actually resides. And when they find that truth, they are overwhelmed with joy. My friend said he went home that night. Home for him at the time was the basement of a fraternity house. And he called his parents from that room in the fraternity house, party raging overhead. 3 a.m., the phone rang in his parents' home. Keep in mind who he was up until that point. (laughs) He says his mom answered the phone, heard his voice, immediately assumed the worst, handed it to her husband in bed next to her, and his first question was, are you in jail? And Steve said, no, in fact, dad, for the first time in my life, I think I'm free. I'm overwhelmed with joy. It was maybe the second or third time that I was leading worship right across the courtyard here in our chapel, beautiful space. If you've never been in there, I encourage you to poke your head in there after worship today or come by. It's open every weekday as well for prayer and meditation. There are these beautiful arches. Uh, If you look sort of down the nave, these beautiful arches, it's hard to tell, but if you look closely, there's space between the bottom of the arch and the ceiling in each of these arches, so you could hide things behind it technically. And it was maybe the second or third time leading worship in the chapel on a Sunday morning. I was sitting up there in the chancel at the front of the sanctuary and I was paying attention to whatever was happening clearly and I found myself looking up and I noticed for the first time that tucked behind that arch at the very front of the chapel is a Moravian star, a beautiful one. I think it was first put up there for our Moravian love feasts that happened many Decembers. We've had to move into the sanctuary because it's sort of outgrown the chapel, but the star is still there. And I found myself looking at that star and thinking, how interesting is that? When I sat in the pews last week, I had no idea there was a star, but it was there. Even when we can't see it, 
that star in our chapel, just like the star of God's love and God's light, it's always there. It's lowered now if you want to see it for epiphany, of course. But what a beautiful image that the light of God's love, the very star that we read about in this story, friends, it's, it's out there today, yes, but it will be out there tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. Sometimes you have to look for it a little bit, but it's there. It's always there. We've ended the season of Christmas now with Epiphany. But the good news is still the same today as it was two weeks ago. Christ is still born. Amen? Amen. The question for us today, though, is how will we respond? Will we go out from this place and find ourselves slipping back into those old routines? into those old ways of living, dictated on fear and greed and power and control and all the rest? Or will we follow in the footsteps of the Magi, the Magi who shows such courage, such trust, such faith? Will we follow in their footsteps and go home by another way? Friends, let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the light of that star that is always there, even if we have trouble seeing it. We pray, God, that through that light, you would give us the courage to walk, to walk in the way that you are leading, to walk with faith, with trust, with humility, but most of all, with love. And that by following in those well-worn footsteps, others might come to know your light as well. Amen.